Um, today's sermon can kind of go right over your head if you haven't gotten the first two. Uh, it's on women in ministry. And my first sermon uh, was about women are not inferior. Uh, and I was attacking the false mindsets, false beliefs that we derive not out of scripture, but out of culture and tradition, uh, out of the world's culture and tradition, out of Confucianism, out of Hinduism, whatever ism, you know, you got it from. Uh, if it's not from scripture, then it needs to be rejected. And we looked at the word of God that in the beginning, the Bible says God created him. Uh, and he created him in his image. God created him male and female. In the image of God, he created them. Cool thing about the Hebrew, I'm learning Hebrew right now, is that many Hebrew nouns are inflected. The verbs and the nouns are inflected. What does that mean? It, in, I hope I'm using that right. Inflected means that the verb or noun uh, inflects gender and number. Whereas in the English, uh, the word went. By looking at the word went, you don't know if it's I went, they went, or he went. But in the Hebrew, by looking at the word went, the verb already has an inflection of gender uh, or number already included. The, the, Bible, the, the Hebrew always does that also for nouns. So anyway, in Genesis chapter 1, it's very clear. God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Okay, And we learned that um, women are not inferior. Because they're created in the image of God. If they're inferior, then we're implying that God, there's some element of God uh, that is inferior. And we know that women, uh, yeah, women are not inferior. Last week, I preached the message, Biblical Exegesis for Women in Ministry. And basically, I broke down the hot texts that are used by complementarians and egalitarians to argue uh, the woman's role in ministry. And uh, I introduced a very important Bible interpretive uh, technique or method called cultural relativity. And I show that the texts that were in question, that you can interpret it in a cultural relative way to show forth that a lot. Actually, we do that with a lot of scripture already. Uh, for example, I gave the example of the holy kiss, Right. We, the Bible commands us five times verbatim, greet one another with a holy kiss. But once again, we don't greet each other with holy kisses these days. Maybe if you're in Italy, all right, or in other countries, they might still do that. But up in here, all right, good red-blooded Americans do not greet each other with a holy kiss. And neither do Koreans, all right. Um, and what are we, are we violating scripture by disobeying that word? No, it's simply that there are certain Bible uh, verses that are culturally relative, and we need to leave them in the first century, including head coverings and veils and things like that. Um, and so it's important, really important that you guys get those first two messages. But because I can't preach those two messages right now, as I go into my third message, I can only point to it. And right now what I'm going to do is I'm going to go forward. Um, today at Hillside, I preached... Uh, very long. Okay. I'm not going to do that here. Okay. Uh, the reason I went long is I spent a good amount of time in the very beginning tackling um, the Council on Biblical Manhood and Womanhood. Okay. How many guys know what the Council on B Biblical Manhood and Womanhood is? Okay. Oh, that's good. 
at Hillside, there was only two people as well. Okay, so most of y'all don't know what that is, um, but it's still very important. Um, it's a council that met in 1987 to respond to some egalitarian feminist views that were being uh, portrayed. And they responded by drafting a document called the Danver Statement. And in that document, they outline what their beliefs are about women in the family, women in the ministry, uh, and just the high view of scripture. And there's a lot of uh, wonderful people that uh, make up the council of biblical manhood and womanhood. Some of those people are very well-known, uh, renowned, like Wayne Grudem, John Piper, uh, Albert Moeller, uh, C.J. Mahaney, Joshua Harris, some really wonderful men of God that I highly respect, respect and esteem. Most of them are from the Reformed uh, tradition, the Reformed movement. And I have found that guys in the Reformed movement, they tend to be very faithful to Scripture. They have a high view of Scripture. And they're just smart. Right. A lot of smart people up in the Reformed movement. Okay, So I personally, you guys know I'm a Calvinist. I'm studying church history right now. If you study church history with me right now, you will find out, man. Calvinism is where it's at. Okay, even the Catholics, when they had the Council of Trent after Martin Luther posted his 95 Thesis, and then the Catholic Church responded by having the Council of Trent and then declaring anathema, declaring accursed everything that Martin Luther was standing for, a lot of things that he was standing for. Even after the Council of Trent, the Catholic Church said, maybe we overreacted. And they had some of their scholars study Augustine's teachings from the very uh, early on in the church. And some of these Catholic smart people... They studied Augustine's teachings, and then they were like, you know what? What some of these other Catholic scholars are saying, they're wrong, because Augustine would have never said it that way. And they started teaching Augustine's teachings, and what ended up happening was the political leaders in Rome, they started accusing those scholars that had just studied Augustine of being too Calvinistic. Isn't that interesting? That was interesting to me. <laughs> anyway, you, if you study Calvin, Augustine... If you really study uh, Romans chapters uh, 9, especially chapters uh, 9 through 11, if you really study, if you study the whole Old Testament, by the way, when I look at the whole Old Testament, the paradigm of election is everywhere. So I don't know how you can escape it. But nevertheless, I know Pastor Benjamin, all right, he's, uh, he's big on Karl Barth, who's another philosopher and scholar, um, I'm not going to get with Carl Barth, all right? But, uh, but I highly respect what Pastor Benjamin has to say. I always listen to what he says. But in terms of election, you know, guys, you guys know that I'm Reformed and I'm a Calvinist. But anyway, I really honored them. Uh, and I went over what this Council on Biblical Manhood and Womanhood is. Uh, because how many of you guys know truth has no fear of examination? So if what I preached last week is true, I got to scrutinize it, test it to see if it's actually true. So that's what I did. All right. I started reading chapters on complementarian view. I started going through the Council of Biblical Manhood and Womanhood, looking at the view of these very respected men of women of God. And I concluded. Oh, by the way, uh, the council, they either entirely affirm or completely reject different denominations, churches and organizations based on their Danvers statement. Uh, the Southern Baptist Convention is affirmed. PCA, very conservative, small, Presbyterian denomination, is confirmed. Bethlehem Baptist, John Piper's church, is confirmed. Uh, but rejected. InterVarsity. Fuller Theological Seminary. PCUSA. Uh, Willow Creek. 
United Methodist Church. United Methodist Church is pretty liberal. But uh, anyway, uh, that gives you a picture of what kind of uh, uh, discussion has been going on here. Okay. And anyway, I'm not going to get into the details. I want to encourage you guys to listen to the Hillside Podcast because I really went into it there. And for some of you, I think it will really interest you. And if you're scrutinizing my view from last week, all right, if you're really scrutinizing it, you need to listen to the Hillside Podcast. Because if you think you're as smart as you think you are, you should be able to go toe-to-toe with every point that I'm presenting. You know what I'm saying? I'm not doing this for my health. Okay, I'm doing this so that when you come to your conclusions, you don't come to it because of a dogmatic presentation I made. Where I'm telling you and shoving it down your throat and, and pretty much trying to produce robots out of you. Computers that, you know, I program in. Believe in women in ministry. Enter. You know, that's not what I'm trying to do with y'all. You guys are living, breathing, thinking individuals with college, most of you with college educations. If you don't, don't be ashamed of it. And, uh, and I want to give it to you and I want you to search the scriptures. I want you to think for yourself and I want you to verify if these things are truly true or not. Okay. And so to summarize what I went over at Hillside, what I pretty much said was, I'm not a feminist. Okay. Because feminism, is, uh, it has a low view of scripture oftentimes. Uh, it's fueled by anger and animosity toward men. And they believe not only that women should be afforded all ministry positions, but they also believe that women and men have no distinct roles in the family. So they would argue for a very egalitarian view of uh, women and men, husband and wife's roles in the family. Okay, I don't believe in that. Okay, I believe the, the head of the household is the husband. The Bible clearly teaches that and draws parallels with Christ and the church. Right? So I'm not a feminist. I'm not an egalitarian. Okay? I, I know these terms are used mixed, it's mixed in together, but I'll tell you why I wouldn't call myself egalitarian. Even though you might want, be tempted to call me egalitarian, please do not talk about your pastor like I'm an egalitarian. You know why? Because a lot of egalitarians, all right, they are oftentimes seen as those who advocate, advocate an ordination of homosexuals. Okay. All right. I don't advocate the ordination of homosexual priests or homosexual ministers. Okay. That's not me. So I'm not egalitarian. Because if you use those terms, it's loaded. I'm not a complementarian. Because although I agree with all of their concerns on the Council of Manhood and Biblical Manhood and Womanhood, I agree with all their concerns. I really appreciate how they articulate their uh, viewpoints very clearly. I agree with almost all of their core beliefs. But I disagree on one major point, and that's the restriction of women on certain leadership and teaching positions in the church. I don't agree with that restriction. All right. So in summing up, I'm not a feminist. I'm not a egalitarian. I'm not a complementarian. So what are you, Pastor Christian? Okay. Um, here's my summary. I'm most closely aligned with complementarians. Okay. In terms of core beliefs, I'm pretty much a complementarian. But I disagree on that one major point. So I'm more like a egalitarian. <laughs> okay. When it comes to the family, I believe the husband is the head of the household. But when it comes to the church, okay, uh, here's what John Piper said. I'll read you John Piper because, you know, let me try to shake you up a little bit. 
John Piper says, the meaning of marriage is bigger than anyone had dreamed. It is Christ and the church. If the roles of husband and wife do not portray the different ways that Christ and the church serve each other, then marriage ceases to be a model of Christ and the church. Oh, that's a pretty big, pretty big implication. Now, I agree that the roles of husband and wife, they portray a picture of Christ in the church. It's very clear in scripture. But I disagree with Piper in the sense that I do not think that the role of husband and wife portray the way that Christ desires for men in the church to relate with the women of the church. Do you hear what I'm saying? You get that? Um, it applies simply to the home, but in the family of God, I believe the headship husband role is reserved for Christ himself. So what is Christ seen as? He's seen as the groom, as the husband. And we, the church, regardless of gender, we are seen as the bride. Men of God in here. You got to get over it. But the Bible calls you the bride of Christ. So, you know, even when you went to Diddy's and Hedwan's wedding, some of you went to the wedding yesterday, you might have thought, oh man, you know, that's cute. You know, it's a bride walking down the aisle. No, that's going to be you. It's going to be you later on when you're united with Jesus Christ. All right, it's going to be like that moment. You're going to be like, I feel like a woman. Okay? Get up in that, all right? Because that's, that's a biblical analogy. So in, the family, in, the, in, the, in our own personal families, I believe the husband is the head of the household. But in the family of God, I do not necessarily think that that headship role is only reserved for male leaders. I believe it's reserved for Christ. Do you understand what I'm getting at? So I highly honor Piper, but I just simply disagree. And for the church, I believe that Christ distributes ministry roles without regard for gender. And I will argue this point a little bit later and give you some examples. Okay? I believe God distributes ministry roles, leadership, teaching, everything. He distributes it with no regard for skin color, for hair length, hair type, or gender. Hallelujah. Okay. All right. So that's uh, what I that's what I summarized over at uh, Hillside Campus. I also broke down First Corinthians 11 a little bit, not really in depth, but I kind of touched upon it, and I presented a complementarian argument by Craig Blomberg. Because uh, I didn't really do justice to it. Last week, I kind of accused the complementarians. I painted a picture that they were picking and choosing what to apply in the Bible. You know, they accept, you know what, women can teach. Let them teach. But we do not, uh, we forbid them from leadership positions. And I told you that it looked like they were picking and choosing. And that's something that I felt like I could never do. Okay, but that's not true. That's not what complementarians actually, they, they don't all do that. And I presented Craig Blomberg's view. Uh, of First uh, Corinthians 11 and First Timothy 2, and I and I argue that uh, I do not think that his interpretation is the plain meaning of the text. Rather, it's rather speculative. Uh, in fact, what he does is he combines the teaching role and the leadership role, and he says that Paul is not prohibiting two activities; he's prohibiting one position in the church, and that's the eldership. Okay. Anyway, listen to the Hillside podcast, please. All right. I'm going to preach here at Itaewon the main message I wanted to preach. Is that okay with y'all? Yeah. Turn to uh, Romans chapter 16. 
You know, I think it's really unfair. I think it's really um, unfortunate that the discussion of women in ministry has focused solely and mostly on the arguments between complementarians and egalitarians. Most of the discussion about women in ministry, it focuses on these arguments and less on actually honoring women who did ministry. And so today, I just want to take a moment to honor women in ministry. Because they don't get honored. They get tolerated, not celebrated. And I understand that biblical exegesis has a lot to do with that. The complementarian traditional view has a lot to do with that. But check that out, man. Maybe you are wrong. Can you even just... Bite down and just say, maybe I'm wrong. And at least I can hand clap for this woman of God. At least I can honor her a little bit for the fruit that she did produce. You guys know Emmy Semple McPherson? She started the four square denomination up in California. She was a woman. Started her own denomination. And men came and joined it. And were very blessed. It had a city-wide, state-wide reach in California. Amy Semple McPherson, a woman. But a lot of times people, people don't even want to bring up her name. And we need to honor women in ministry, so I'm going to do that. I'm going to honor some of the women today. All right, um, look at uh, Romans chapter 16. Romans chapter 16. Now, the Apostle Paul, when he writes his letters, he's like a hip-hop artist. Okay, So if you, if you guys know hip-hop from the 90s, all right, back up in the 90s, all right, hip-hop artists, whenever they will be at the end of a song, they got to do shout-outs to everybody and their mama. <laughs> whenever they get onto the radio and they get on the air and they have to do a song request... Like, they're like, can you play this song? And by the way, hey, I want to shout out. Shout out to Grace Yang. Shout out to Troy. Yo, 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 my homie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> they like, try to fit it all in. DJ's like, <laughs> try to, you know, cut them off, you know. And Paul is a lot like that. He does a lot of shout outs in his letters. Look at some of these shout outs. Look at chapter 16. I commend to you our sister Phoebe. Okay, so his first shout out is to a woman. A servant of the church. Now, we don't know what that means. But we can just simply assume she worked. She worked hard. Hard enough that she will be recognized first in the shout out. That you may welcome her in the Lord in a way worthy of the saints. And then help her in whatever she may need from you. Oh, snap. Paul, are you telling me to give a woman whatever she needs from me? Well, that's what he's saying. Whatever, Help her. Right, whatever she asks for, help her. For she has been a patron of many and, and, and of myself as well. Man, he highly honors Phoebe. Many churches don't do that today. But Paul did. Keep reading. Greet Prisca in the ESV, but traditionally we read Priscilla. Okay? Greet Priscilla and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus. My fellow workers. Let me stop right there. Let me pause right there. Priscilla is a woman, by the way. Unless you know some Priscilla's that are men. (laughs) 
All right, Priscilla is a woman. And it's, it's interesting that in this ancient text, in, in ancient culture, men's names often were listed first. This is a husband and wife duo. But Paul mentions Priscilla first. So that should tell you something, that Priscilla has some kind of leadership role here in the ministry work. And you have to understand, it says here, my fellow workers, my fellow workers. What kind of work did pa- uh, Apostle Paul do? What kind of work did he do? He built tents. He went around evangelizing. What was one of some of the main things he did? He casted out demons. He healed the sick. But he also taught. He teached. He taught. <laughs> and brought. <laughs> and preached. Right? He taught and preached the word of God. That was some of his main work. Many hours will be spent in preaching and teaching. So when he says, my fellow workers, you have to understand, Priscilla did preaching and teaching. You know, be like, well, that's not in the Bible. You're wrong. It is in the Bible. The Apollo, the Apostle Apollos, everyone say Apollos. Apollos was one of the apostles. When he started getting with the rest of the apostles, he actually didn't have a very good systematic doctrine of the apostolic teachings. So what he did was he got with Priscilla and Aquila. And the Bible says they taught him the word of God. A man. It doesn't say Priscilla just sat by and watched and prayed on the side interceding. Okay. Priscilla and Aquila, they taught Apollos, uh, apostle, the word of God. So when Paul says, my fellow workers, he's saying, my fellow preachers, my fellow teachers. My fellow healing and deliverance ministers. My fellow evangelists. He's saying, my fellow workers. They were all up in my business. Greet them. Look at this. They didn't, they didn't just work. They risked their necks for my life. If you risk your life for mine, I'm going to give you a shout out. <laughs> on my blog somewhere. Shout out to Troy. He, uh risked his neck when some brother tried to give me a holy kiss and uh, I didn't want it and he saved me from that. Anyway, uh, I'm sorry. Um, And if you keep on going, greet also the church in their house. Greet my beloved uh, Epenetes. I didn't study Greek yet. Uh, Who was the first convert to Christ in Asia. Greet Mary. Okay, another woman who has worked hard for you. Greet Andronicus and Junia, my kinsmen and my fellow prisoners, they are well known to the apostles and they were in Christ before me. Junia, by the way, is another woman. Greet Ampliatus, my beloved in the Lord. Greet Arbanus, our fellow worker in Christ, and my beloved Stachis. Uh, now I don't understand whether these names are male or female. But anyway, uh, the first few names, there's a lot of female names he, he mentions here. And even in the later, latter part, Julia. Nereus and his sister. You got to understand. There are a lot of women. That did the ministry. So if you really want to keep to a complementarian view. Of the Apostle Paul's letter. Restricting women from speaking up. Or even teaching or having leadership positions in the church. You really kind of have a problem with this actual ministry. Because for me, the 
The cultural relativity argument makes a lot of sense. He's trying to shut down false teaching at Ephesus, shut down false teaching at Corinth. So what does he do? He tells the women to shut up. They are not permitted to speak. They should remain quiet. They should go home and ask their husbands. Why? He argued they are easily deceived. Look at the Garden of Eden. They were easily deceived. And Eve was deceived, not Adam. And I kind of chuckled in my very first message that that didn't seem accurate. But it, it is accurate, actually, if you think about it. Eve was deceived, not Adam. We don't really know why Adam sinned and ate the fruit. But we know that Eve sinned by deception. Adam sinned maybe out of passivity. Maybe he just really liked Eve and didn't want to hurt her feelings. Uh, we don't really know, right? So it's not an inaccurate statement what Paul made. And he's referring to Genesis to just simply say, hey, you guys, let's restrict all the women. Because these women, they're uneducated. They don't know the Bible very well. And they're allowing false teaching because they have a lot of idle time on their hands, you know. They have a lot of idle time on their hands. So check it out. Let them, they, they are not permitted to teach. They're not permitted to take leadership positions. They're not even permitted to speak. This is a little harsh. I don't understand where 1 Timothy 2 and 1 Corinthians 14 are in Phoebe's life or in Priscilla's life or in Junaeus' life or in Julia or Mary or all these people that are, mar- uh, that, that are mentioned here. Where is 1 Timothy 2 there? It doesn't seem like it was a universal restriction is what I'm trying to say. It was a local one. And remember, we, we argued that just because he, uh, um, he uh, referred to Genesis does not mean that the application is absolute. Because you can take a relative application and back it up with an absolute principle, but in doing so, not make the application absolute. <laughs> Hallelujah. How many of you guys got that? Anyway, that's from last week's message. Anyway, Paul gave a lot of shout outs. To, to, to men and to women. And if you look in the book of Acts, you will notice that people, when people were being arrested, it wasn't just the men. Women were being arrested and imprisoned for their faith. That tells me that the women were not at home just changing the diapers and baking cookies and watching Oprah. They were in the marketplaces. They were on the streets. They were healing the sick. They're casting out demons. They're preaching the gospel. They're not going to be like, oh, oh, there's a man here. I can't preach no more. Okay, they preached. They preached. And men heard it. And men's like, how dare you? And they arrested them. Right along with the men. Women got arrested. So, I, you know, I think it really, we really need to learn how to honor the women in ministry. Whether they were from the Bible. Whether they're from history. Or whether they're for today. Can I honor some... Some women in history. Uh, Catherine Coleman. Highly controversial figure. But the fact of the matter is, for year, years, not just like a one year, two years, for many years, Catherine Coleman used to pack out stadiums, just like Billy Graham did. Huge basketball arena, she'll pack it out. And just the sick will be brought to her and she'll heal them. She'll preach the gospel. 
thousands will get saved at our crusade meetings. There are testimonies of people that will stay at the same hotel as her, whether they knew it or not who she was, people were receiving their miracles. People in the parking lot of Catherine Coleman's meetings, they didn't have space inside, so they couldn't even go in. And they will be in the parking lot just listening through some, you know, some speaker, and they'll get healed. This is incredible testimonies. But, you know, the church is afraid to honor her because she was a woman. Andreas Bissoni, one of his big heroes, was Catherine Coleman. Benny Hinn. Benny Hinn believes he received the mantle from Catherine Coleman. That's why he does very similar things as Catherine Coleman. Catherine Coleman, amazing woman of God. Um, how about some modern day ministers that are women? I mentioned her last week, Beth Moore. She serves at the Southern Baptist Convention. A lot of times they don't allow her to preach to men. So what does she do? She preaches to women. And the Louis Giglio allows her to preach to college students that are both men and women. But she preaches. Have you ever heard Beth Moore preach? Whether you're a man or a woman, you're going to get blessed. She's got a gift. I told you when I was at one day in the year 2000, I drove like 28 hours from New York City to Memphis, Tennessee. It was the most painful drive in my life. I almost died on three different occasions. And I'm glad around that time they invented the little ridges on the side of the uh, highway so that when you start falling asleep, and it wakes you up. I almost killed everybody. Everybody's everybody's sleeping. They forced me to drive. Can you believe that? Oh, yeah, we'll trade off. Tag team, bro. (laughs) You punk. I hate you. I I just drove because I'm so choleric. I just didn't want to make any pit stops. I just wanted to get there already. Almost died. Anyway, we got there. We we went to the event. And like I said, man, Piper spoke. Vadi Balkum spoke. Some very powerful male speakers spoke. But the only speaker I really was impressed by was Beth Moore. Female preacher. You got, How many guys know Joyce Meyer? Joyce Meyer Ministries? Hey, give me, give me a video clip with Joyce Meyer on there. You know, Joyce Meyer is a teacher in the body of Christ. You know what a teacher's main gift and function is? They, yeah, obviously they teach. But they take complex things in the word of God and they make it bite-sized pieces for the people of God. And then they equip people to do the same thing for others. Okay, show, show me that Joyce Meyer clip. Just give me a little bit. Capture her saying something good. The darker times... Right, go go, go in the middle of that video. Go in the middle of it. Creates a lot of circumstances, and God doesn't always do about it what we'd like Him to do when we'd like Him to do it, because He has a greater plan than what we even realize. All we know is that is God that a is man? good. He never allows more I to come on us we can bear, but with every temptation, He provides the well, way she's out. She's got really short and hair. If we will continue to pray and trust God, honestly and truly, He will take even. Even things that hurt and work them out to good in our lives. Amen? Verse 8, Daniel chapter 1, verse 8. Look at all those people. Says, but Daniel determined That's probably like 20 to 30,000 people up in there. He would not defile himself. 
Now, I'm not going to read the rest of it. Okay, let's pause. Let's pause. Let's George Meyer. She's got a powerful teaching ministry, written lots of books, has a TV program. And she started off, you know, preaching and teaching to women. But when she realized the call of God in her life was to preach to men and women, she took some heat, but she stepped out and did it. Now, obviously, she's doing it there in the video. And those men, they were getting blessed. If you know Joyce Meyer's testimony, she was sexually abused by her own father when she was younger. But she didn't allow that to keep her down. God turned that around for her good by healing her, making it a part of her testimony so that whenever she goes around, she teaches and preaches, she shares her testimony. And people who went through something similar, they get set free and healed. They get the hope that Christ can heal them like he healed Joyce Meyer. She's a gifted woman. You know, you will really enjoy her teachings. You know she's a teacher because she'll do her podcast in 12-minute bite-sized pieces. You know? I don't think I can really do that, but she does that. She does 12-minute bite-sized pieces. That's a teacher. They, take it bite, they make it bite-sized and they give it to you. So it's easily digestible. Joyce Meyer. Um, I also here, I want to present to you that not only are there female teachers, pastors, and Catherine Coleman evangelists, there are also female apostles and prophets. I do not believe anywhere in scripture it says that God, Christ gave the fivefold ministry and restricted the first two to women. Nowhere in scripture does it say that. Now, I'm making a big jump right now because some of you, you're like, apostles and prophets, what are you talking about? Okay. Now, I, I argue uh, Ephesians chapter 4. Why don't you turn there real quick? Everyone turn to Ephesians chapter 4. Come on. Get your Bible open. Now, some of y'all are sitting there and you're, you're, you're listening, but you're not receiving it. And you need to receive the word as you reference the Bible. You need to know that it's coming from Scripture. Not out of Pastor Christian's um, opinions. I was going to say but, but that would have been really inappropriate. (laughs) Glad I didn't. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11 and 12. Now look at this. This is Christ. You know, he, he dies, he resurrects. The Bible says he ascends on high, gives gifts to men. And the gifts of God, in 1 Corinthians 12, it says they're spiritual manifestations like prophecy, working miracles, gift of faith, gift of tongues. But gifts don't only come in the form of manifestations, it comes also in the form of people. And that's what Ephesians chapter 4 is dealing with. Gifts that Christ gives in the form of people to the body of Christ. So check this out. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11 and 12. 11, he says, He, talking about Christ, Christ gave the apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. This is called a five-fold ministry. Everyone say five-fold ministry. ministry. Everyone say apostles, Apostles. prophets, Prophets. evangelists, Evangelists. pastors, Pastors. teachers. Okay, this is the five-fold ministry. 
Now, which of these fivefold ministry offices do Presbyterian churches recognize? I won't, I won't even say evangelists. I don't know any Presbyterian evangelists. Do you? I don't. Because it's very rare. Okay. Uh, pastors and teachers are oftentimes recognized. You know that Billy Graham at one point, he was getting persecuted. People are like, why are you taking all these people? You know, they're already connected to local churches. Why are you having these mass crusades? And he'll get persecuted. You know, early on in his ministry, he got persecuted. He didn't have to support a lot of local churches. It was only after the success of these mass crusades that churches are like, oh, I guess he's okay. He's successful. But, you know, the evangelist office was not really properly honored for a while, too, you know. Um, anyway. Most churches recognize pastors, teachers, evangelists, but not the most important two. What the Bible says are the first two. What the Bible says the church is founded on apostles and prophets. Okay, Most churches don't recognize that because most churches believe that these two offices have closed down. That they are no longer needed and it's too dangerous to have them open. So when we got the canon of scripture, when we got these 66 books of the Bible, we didn't need apostles and prophets anymore. And therefore, they theorized that these two offices have closed, but not the other three. The problem is, nowhere in scripture does it say that any of the fivefold ministry offices have closed down. Show me a Bible verse. Because there is none. There is nowhere in Scripture. One time I went to Pastor Jim Simbola from Brooklyn Tabernacle Church. He was here in Korea. I went up to him and I said, Pastor Simbola, I got one question. He was like, in a hurry. I was like, I got one question. He said, what is it? I said, five-fold ministry. Do you believe it? And he's like, you mean the five-fold ministry as listed in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11 to 12? And I said, yes, sir. He said, well, the Bible says that they are in operation and the Bible never said they, are, they have ceased. Does that answer your question? And he's made a very good point. For all the smart reform guys that argue that apostles and prophets are no more, they have no Bible text to back it up. That's why I don't understand. Such smart people who I really highly honor and I agree with on a lot of different points but when it comes to the, the ministry of the Holy Spirit, man, they are so clueless sometimes. Sorry to say. Even the charismatic reform guys like C.J. Mahaney. I thought I was, you know, same spirit with him. I went to Joshua Harris's church. I was like, oh, I'm not the same spirit with him. <laughs> I'm, I'm, they're open to the gifts. I'm glad. They're smart people that are open to the gifts. But I, I, don't, I don't call caution faith. They say, we're open but cautious. That's kind of like pretty much their general approach toward it. And Pentecostals, you guys are looking at me like, what's the issue, right? But, you know, for, for you know, Presbyterians, it's a big deal because, you know, these reform guys are open to charismatic. Even John Piper will actually argue for gift of prophecy. He actually argues for the spiritual gifts. But he defines the gift of prophecy a little differently than we would. But I'm thinking, man, these smart people, how come they get lost when it comes to the ministry of the, uh, the gifts of the Holy Spirit? And it comes to the fivefold ministry. Anyway, nowhere in scripture say they ceased. 
So what am I submitting to you today? I'm submitting to you a very radical revolutionary idea that you may have never been confronted with in your old churches. And that is the idea that the five-fold ministry offices are perpetual to today. What do I mean by perpetual? Okay, this uh, is my other watch. I have another watch uh, with the chrome uh, uh, bracelet. That watch is called a perpetual watch. Why is it called a perpetual watch? Okay, it's because it's continuous. It does not end. It has no battery. It has a battery, but never runs out of a battery because it's solar powered. Isn't that really cool? (laughs) My watch will never die. According to citizens' um, uh, lifetime warranty, <laughs> so they'll never die. You know, I've gone uh, scuba diving in it. You know, I've I've gone scuba diving in it. <laughs> That's like the worst condition I can think of. Anyway, it didn't die. All right, it still works. It's perpetual. It's continuous. Uh, I'll give you an example of an office that's perpetual: the president of the United States. That office. When George Washington died, the people of America did not say, oh, that office was only for George Washington. Oh, we got to honor him by keeping it closed. Let's keep the Oval Office nice and clean and, and make it into a monument. Turn it into a museum to remember George Washington. Okay, American people didn't do that. What did American people do? When George Washington stepped down, they said, oh, we got to fill that vacancy. This is an important position. It cannot remain empty. It must be perpetual. So what do they do? They kept filling it. Next election, they filled it again. Somebody dies, they get filled. John F. Kennedy, he gets shot, he dies, they filled it again. I'm sorry to use that. I don't, that's kind of graphic. I'm sorry. Anyway, let's keep moving. It's a perpetual office. Now, I'll tell you right now, the office of apostle and prophet for the churches... For the wider body of Christ and for local churches, that office is just as important, if not more important, than the office of the President of the United States of America. You leave that office vacant, and guess what's going to happen? The devil's going to attack. Terrorists are going to attack. They're going to blow stuff up. They're going to jack up your mind. They're going to put up fear in your hearts. And guess what happened in church history? When these offices were abandoned. The devil jacked the church up to the point they almost lost the gospel. In fact, they did lose the gospel for a while. The Bible was in Latin. It would be great if the people spoke Latin. But the people spoke German. They spoke English. They didn't speak Latin back then. Most of the common people didn't speak Latin. Who spoke Latin? It was the clergy. The Catholic priests. So they were the only ones because the word of God was so holy. They said only the priests can handle the word of God. So they kept it in Latin. What happened? Because the apostle office was vacant. The devil did a number on the church. Think about your own church experiences. Your own personal church experiences. Many of you did not have an apostle or a prophet. Whether they use that label or not, you didn't have such people functioning inside your church. And I'm telling you right now, the reason why you had so much false teaching come in, why you, you weren't really sure about what you believed in, 
You didn't, you weren't strengthened. You didn't get impartations that strengthened you in the Holy Spirit. Somebody didn't give you uh, or activate your spiritual gifts. So you didn't even know what spiritual gifts were until you came to New Philly. The reason why your experience was like that, why it was so unbalanced is because the pastor was the only one serving you. And I love pastors, but pastor's primary focus and role is to serve people, to counsel them, to love them. To make the, make sure they feel, you know, good about themselves, you know? Those are important things. Don't get me wrong. But if the pastor is the one leading the movement, alright, you're gonna have a lot of people pleasers in the place of leadership in the church. And people pleasers, they tend to not steward the vision of God very faithfully. But you see, apostles and prophets, man, apostles are called on. It is their gifting color is to focus on the vision that God has revealed and be faithful to it no matter what. Even if the majority of the church is trying to vote and say, oh, no, we disagree with that financial decision. An apostle will say, no, I'm pretty sure God said this. We're going to go forward. You know know what I'm saying? And sometimes that's got to happen. You know why? Because the majority could be wrong. The church, by the way, and I understand we're all used to a Presbyterian form of government, by the way, which was a Scottish-driven uh, um, church form of church government. I'm learning in church history. The Scottish were really big on Presbyterian uh, forms of government. Uh, the English were actually kind of divided. There were independents, and there were Anglicans and Catholics, and then there were uh, Presbyterians. Anyway, hallelujah. Let's keep going. Um, many of you are used to a Presbyterian form of government. Some of you are from other backgrounds, but many of you are from Presbyterian. And in the Presbyterian form of government, what is it? What's important? Majority. It's about making sure your vote counts. The ownership of the vision of the church is oftentimes in lies with the people rather than with the leader. Now, I'm not saying that's wrong. I'm just saying it doesn't seem very fruitful. Why? Because people are constantly in and out. They're changing. How can you get that constant group of dynamically changing people to hold a vision for more than uh, five or ten years so what happens they, they they move forward very powerfully in the 40s and 50s and then 60s and 70s hits and all the young children they, they leave the church and then the church is left with just a whole bunch of old people and they're wondering why can't we reach our youth the vision is stewarded oftentimes by a man or a woman not by the congregation. And that's why it's kind of, it's kind of I, I think, I just disagree. I just think it's, it's just a little backwards. That a lot of these churches, they, they, they look through resumes like the rest of the world. Like if they are Google or if they're Microsoft, they look through resumes to hire the next pastor. And I understand resumes are necessary. But the, but the, but the mindset is the vision lies with the people, not the leader. So when the leader comes in after the honeymoon phase, when they start getting annoyed and tired with this leader, they kick the leader out and they look through more resumes and get another leader. How many of you guys know Presbyterian churches where your Korean pastor stuck with you for more than 10 years? In America, very rare to none. Why? Because they're so Presbyterian, at least here with Confucianism. You know, founding pastors here, they serve like 30, 40 years. Not, there's not many of them, but they're like our pastor. He's served here for 40 years. 
But back in America, man, I'll tell you right now, man. Why am I getting at this? Why am I getting at this? Let me, let me come back. Come back to the women. Let's come back to the women. We're honoring women. Oh, yeah, I was arguing for the perpetual nature of the five-fold ministry offices, that these still function for today. All right? Let me give you um, some examples of five-fold ministry uh, li- leaders that, that, to me, they, they clearly function in these roles. Prophets. Here are some men prophets. Graham Cook. If you guys ever read a book by Graham Cook, ever got a teaching by Graham Cook, he will blow your mind to smithereens, and then he'll step on those smithereens. And then you'll just be like gathering up dust, like, man, where did my brain go? He will blow your mind with revelation from God that you didn't even know on a level that existed. Graham Cook is powerful. Um, Jim Gall is another man of God who is a prophet in the body of Christ. These men, they hear clearly from the Lord. And they prophesy not over just individuals, but over churches. But not over just local churches, but over cities. Not over just cities, but entire nations. That's the role of an office of prophet. The more mature you get, the more authority you handle, the more authority you handle, the bigger your prophecy scope gets. But let me tell you some female prophets that I also want to honor. I believe Stacey Campbell is a female prophet. I have met this woman personally. And I sense the presence and the favor and the anointing of God on her. I've seen her minister in person. And she has prophesied over people with pinpoint accuracy. She teaches with great biblical knowledge. Very balanced in her teachings. Stacy Campbell. If you guys don't know Stacy Campbell, do not Google her. Because she will freak you out. Can I tell you that right now? She will freak you out. You know why she does? When, when I went to my first Stacy Campbell event, I talked to my, 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 my friend, Pastor Paul, right? Pastor Paul's like, yo, 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 yo. Yo, yo, um, don't get freaked out. I'm like, what you talking about? Man, I've seen it all. I've seen the shaking. I've seen the tongues. I've seen it all. You're not going to freak me out. He's like, all right, all right. I'm just telling you right now. Don't get freaked out. Okay. I go to the event. It was actually at Christian Centennial Hall. Chris, Stacey Campbell's up there. Uh, she's teaching really calm. Just teaching. Just amazing message. Amazing testimonies. I'm so blessed. All right. And then she starts prophesying for people. She starts p- picking people out of the crowd. And she starts prophesying, right? And her head starts moving like this. And it gets faster and faster. And, and she has long hair. Faster. <laughs> Anthony, the Lord is saying, he is going to open up doors for you in the marketplace, in the marketplace. Oh, I'm getting a headache just doing that. She'll do that 10-minute prophecy. She'll do that with absolute clarity. Not even miss a beat. And I got to admit, I was a little freaked out. <laughs> I've never seen anything like that before. But anyway, I met her. I talked to her husband, Wesley Campbell, last year. They are wonderful people in the body of Christ. And they've been severely hurt by other Christians. Who just simply cannot bear the stigma of how Stacy delivers prophecy. But not only that, the fact that she's a woman. The stigma of the fact that she's a woman. Not only that, the fact that she claims to be a prophet or people honor her as a prophet. 
the stigma of that, that there are, the fivefold ministry is not perpetual. There's a lot of stigma they carry. But you know what? They've always been in their response, gracious and loving. And that shows me that they're walking more in the spirit of Christ than some of these reformed guys that get really dogmatic and nasty on you. Stacey Campbell. You know who else is a prophet? Female? Cindy Jacobs. I know some friends. I know a few friends that went to Cindy Jacobs' events, got called out of the crowd to stand up, and she prophesied over their life with pinpoint accuracy. Powerful. Cindy Jacobs. Not only does she prophesy over individuals, by the way, by both Stacy and Cindy, they prophesy over nations. Let me share with you what Stacy Campbell said a few years ago. She said, God is going to strike down the God of mammon. That's the God of money in America. She prophesied that before the recession hit. She prophesied that when the market was all on the up and up. Within that same year, okay, the prime mortgage rate, the prime mortgage market just busted it, and the whole American economy just crumbled. Billion dollars of bail, bailouts. That's why American government is in so much debt right now. She said, God's going to strike down the God of mammon. And then a year later, when they were going through the recession, she said, God is going to next strike down the God of government. Because the American people are putting their hope not in God still. First it was money. Now they're putting their hope in the government. Obama had just gotten elected. And the American people, it was very clear, they were putting all their hope in his ability to help the economy recover. And what happened? What's going on today? Obama is perhaps not going to get reelected based on mostly the economy issue. Americans have gotten jaded with him and they've lost their hope in him. Tell me right now, man, Stacey Campbell, prophesy that for any of that came to pass. You know, another prophet, Jason Ma, uh, he's not a woman, but I just want to mention. It's really cool. Jason Ma, at the end of last year, around November, October, we printed out his prophecy, sent it to some of our key leaders. We all read it. We all uh, got a witness for it. Okay? He put in that prophecy that in 2011, that there are going to be riots and turmoils all over the Middle East. That's three months, two to three months before a single event in the Middle East with the Jasmine Revolution. Before any country lost, uh, with, before Egypt got toppled, before this past week Libya finally got liberated with Gaddafi gone, before any of that happened, Jason Mal prophesied it. Man, you gotta understand, man, there are, there are real prophets still today. And their role is not to add to the Bible or to say things that are extra biblical or anti-biblical. True prophets are in submission to the word of God. Everything's in harmony with the word of God. True apostles, they function to make this more understandable to the body of Christ. To use this to equip the saints for the work of ministry. But anyway, man, Jason, man, he gave a powerful prophecy. He's actually going to be here in a couple weeks for the Breakthrough Conference. And right now, I actually got, I got asked to speak at the same conference for one of the afternoon sessions. You know, Jason, you know, we're good acquaintances. I don't know if he'd call me a friend. I call him my friend. <laughs> but I don't know if he would call me a friend. And then we're cool with each other. You know, we're down. 
We have very similar, you know, ghetto feel. So and we, we get along really well. But, uh, you know, I got asked to speak at that same conference. Jason's going to be there. I hope you guys can make it. It's going to be a Techno Mart in Shindorim. Um, but it's really primarily for the youth. And, and right now, God put it on my heart to preach on creativity and to connect it with the message that John Michael preached from the Joint Prayer Meeting. To get at the root of why creativity is being snuffed out. I read two articles in the last two weeks. One was, can Korea produce their own Steve Jobs? Second was, can Korea produce their own Mark Zuckerberg? And my answer to those two questions, absolutely not. But then after Pastor John Michael's message, I was like, you know what? We can. But we have to break through. All of this controlling spirits that our parents use to pressure and, per- and make us perform and make us do things that really have nothing to do with our God-given vision. Uh, Patricia King is another prophet that's a woman of God. Uh, in fact, you might be asking, uh, actually, I mean, I present to you apostles. Here are some apostles in the body of Christ. Bill Johnson is an apostle. Bill Johnson, may I submit to you, he does more bigger and grander ministry than even the Apostle Paul did when he was alive. Do you guys know that in scope? Bill Johnson does much bigger things than the Apostle Paul ever touched. Just letting you know. Numerically, global scale, he's doing a lot more. Uh, Che An is another apostle. Harvest Rock Church in California. Mike Bickle. I submit to you, he's a, more of an apostle than a prophet because of what he's done with IHOP. He has established a powerful move, prayer movement of God on the earth. That's an apostolic work. You know who else is an apostle? My mentor, Pastor Benjamin Robinson. Pastor Benjamin is not just a pastor. Just letting you know, I know I call him Pastor Benjamin, but that's because, all right, I want to be culturally sensitive but if i had it my way and i really didn't care about what people thought i will call him for what he is apostle benjamin robinson and actually in black uh kojic churches church of god in christ in all over america they use that term left and right and actually turns off pastor benjamin a little bit he thinks there's people that are not apostles or they're very immature apostles that just like to say uh uh, my name's Apostle Apostle Peter, Apostle Christian. Here, here's my card. I'm an apostle, huh? And you here and invite me to your church, huh? And I'm gonna be preaching next time. You know, you take this card. You know, and Pastor Benjamin's like, yeah, uh, these self-proclaimed apostles, they need to ease up. So that kind of turns them off a little bit. And so anyway, Pastor Benjamin believes in functioning in the role of an apostle, even though he doesn't have the label of one, and you can still get the fruit of one. And so to be interdenominational, you don't want to go around saying, I'm Apostle Benjamin. He just says, I'm Pastor Benjamin. Can I come minister at your church? Will you invite me? And he goes to these, like, really dry denominational churches. He'll blow it up. He'll blow it up. People get jacked up. People cry. You know, he spoke at Berkeley a couple of weeks ago for the ABBA conference. About 120 Berkeley students got together. He did the uh, encounter retreat uh, teachings. Okay, he did those teachings, and he called students to come forward. They came forward to receive prayer. People getting touched by the Holy Spirit. 
Pastor Benjamin is an apostle. Signs and wonders accompany him. But let me hear some to you. There's some female apostles. Heidi Baker. I do not like her preaching, but I cannot argue with the fruit of her ministry. I've heard her speak several times. This is Heidi Baker. I just love, I just love our daddy, don't you? Shandai. You know, I don't want to preach today. I just want to worship. Can we just worship everybody? Let's worship. Jesus, we love you. Worship you. Shandai. Ah. Okay. I kid you not. That's her sermon. Okay. First time I saw it, I was like, oh, you know, I guess she's, you know, got a little Holy Spirit detour. You know, we'll go with her. Next year I saw her. She did the same thing. I was like, oh, man. The year after that, she did the same thing. I was like, all right. I'm not tuning into her podcast. But the amazing thing is she does something simple like that. And meanwhile, people are spontaneously crying and laughing all throughout the room. Because they're getting touched by the Holy Spirit. People who normally don't do that, by the way. They just get touched by Holy Spirit everywhere. That's a signs and wonders ministry. Very apostolic. But you know what really shows the marks of her apostleship? Mozambique. World's poorest country in the earth. She's been there. And she has planted thousands of churches. Set up a training center. Where young people from all over the world travel to be a part of. That's the marks of an apostle to me. Powerful ministry. Heidi Baker. Um, another woman. Dr. Cindy Trim. Y'all don't know Dr. Cindy Trim. Y'all don't know Dr. Cindy Trim. She's an African-American woman. She's powerful. I believe she's an apostle. She's a very articulate woman, by the way. All right. She will. If you ever try to go toe-to-toe with her in the Bible, she will do laps around you. Even the philosophies, she understands philosophies, concepts. Man, she just does laps around. She's a very gifted woman. But when she ministers, signs and wonders, man. Let me Give me that clip of Dr. Cindy Trim right now. All right. All right. Now, let me just tell you right now, you've never seen anything like this, even from a man. All right. So just watch and process it. Just watch with an open mind and process Dr. Cindy Trim's ministry. Just give me a piece of that ministry right now. I'm going to move to the right. The anointing is going to shift economics in here. Your finances are going to have a divine visitation from God. I'm talking about the hand of God getting ready to touch everybody. I'm going to move to the right. And a wave of the anointing is going to hit everybody in here. The hand of God is going to touch you. How many of you believe that? How many of you receive it? Because a lot of people believe. They don't want to receive. Put your hands down. Don't grasp anybody. You are going to receive a double portion. You're going to receive what God has for you. And you're going to pick up your neighbor's anointing. 
and I'm going to prove it. Father, in the name of Jesus, now, your people have given. They have given willingly. The portals of heaven have been locked up and closed and constricted for year after year of every individual's life. But I decree and declare now that they are open. I open them prophetically right now in the name of Jesus. Now, Father, whatever heaven has been locked up because of ignorance, because of withdrawing, uh, hallelujah, withholding, uh, I decree and declare that the spigot is open. Now, Father, like a tsunami, I decree and declare that you are going to begin to move from my right and left. I decree and declare, Father, that you would move from the front to the back. Father, as I move across the stage, I decree everyone, hallelujah, that sees me as I move will be slain and you will birth, you will birth. Father, they will pick up mantles in the realm of the spirit. I decree and declare right now that as I move across the stage, hallelujah, economics are going to be shifted. Finances are going to be shifted. I decree and declare that the wealth of the wicked is no longer laid up for you, but the wealth of the wicked is being released. I decree and declare that winds of the spirit are beginning to blow and they're blowing into your home. I decree and declare that your sons and daughters, by virtue of the fact of your praise, you are going to birth them into the kingdom. You are your sons and daughter are going to be birthed into the kingdom while they're in prison. They're going to be birthed into prison while they're in crack houses. Your husbands are going to come back. Your ministries are going to turn around. I decree and declare a supernatural anointing sweep. Father, from my right to my left, as I move, everybody open your eyes. Here it is. Now, Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you that there is a shifting, a shifting that is going on in the kingdom. We thank you that the spirit of Asker is upon each individual, every woman, that you are now transforming. You are posturing them for the next move of God. I decree and declare from the earth, mantles that have been dropped, they are being picked up. I decree and declare double portions of the Elijah anointed is being birthed every prophet that is assigned to this time Kill this what's going on? I stir up, stir up, stir up stir it up I quicken, I quicken callings alright, alright, alright alright, that's Dr. Cindy Trim I mean, y'all, y'all never seen anything like that before. That's, that's just crazy. All right. I've never seen nothing like that before, that video. I, I mean, even when I ministered, I pray fire and I, I pray, I'm looking at one person. And I've seen maybe like five people fall at once, three people fall at once. But to see thousands that fall across the room, like it's like a football wave, you know, everybody going down. You can't tell me that there's no, Holy Spirit anointing and kingdom authority in what she's doing. That is a powerful ministry she's carrying. You notice that when she was praying, she wasn't saying, uh, I prophetically see God's about to come upon this room like a tsunami. And this is what he's about to do. He's about to come upon the room. And as I go from my right to the left, you're going to get slain. And she didn't say that. She said, I decree and declare. She kept saying that over again, over and over again. I decree and declare that in a moment, as I move from my left to the right, the anointing is going to hit you. You'll be slain in the spirit. 
That's what an apostle does. That's the difference between a prophet and an apostle. Prophet speaks out what's revealed, but an apostle has the authority to use the creative power of God's word. So apostle can can and look at your economic situation. And if you really honor that apostle as an apostle, the apostle can simply pray. I pray for the creation of wealth-making opportunities in your life that do not exist right there. I decree and declare it's being released right now. And they can pray for, for something like that. And the same month, you get a new wealth-creating opportunity that wasn't there before. It's the creative power of God's word. You have to understand that the creative power of God's word still exists. God speaks it and it happens. Not always by revelation, but by an overflow of his heart. When you understand his heart, even though he doesn't prophetically reveal it, you can go forward and declare it, decree and declare it, and it's established. Apostle understands that. An apostle has a type of authority and anointing power. And you can see that at work in the, in the dynamics of our ministry. But you know who else is, a, who is, is an apostle? Pastor Sonny Robinson, Pastor Benjamin's wife. You know, she's not just a pastor. She's an apostle. She functions as one. She moves as one. You know, she went to South America, went to jails made for men, went up into this jail ministry and signs and wonders, physical healing, salvations, just jacked up all the men in prison. Now, there's a hard place to preach it's inside of a prison. Man, she, she, she moves in signs and wonders. And you might be thinking, well, man, this is all good, but I don't believe in female apostles. I don't think they exist. Okay, and let me submit to you Romans sixteen seven. It says, greet Adronicus and Junea, my kinsmen and my fellow prisoners. They are well known to the apostles and they were in Christ before me. You know, the ESV has interpreted this verse before translating it. So I would disagree with this translation on that verse. Because every translation, almost every translation that we know of, doesn't translate that verse that way. The traditional translation goes like this. Greet Adronicus and Junea, my countrymen and my fellow prisoners, who are of note or in other translations, who are outstanding among the apostles. ESV is the only place where it rewords it. Now, the natural Greek translation is this one, where it, where it numbers Adronicus and Junea among the apostles. Not one where, it's, where, they're, where, where they are well known to the apostles. That's not a natural translation in the Greek. But did you know that the NIV and the NASB, they also interpret it before giving you the actual verse. So this is why you got to kind of dig into the actual, and you've got to research the, the background. Because the NIV and the NASB, what they do is, they take the name Junea or Junia, and they put an S at the end and turn it Junius, which it looks like a masculine name. So they were translated among the apostles but they add an S to Junea's name and they turn it into a masculine form in order to eliminate any idea that there was ever a female apostle on the earth. Doesn't that sound like a conspiracy to you? 
I had a sketch to the highest degree. Okay. In Greek, the Junea is a feminine word suggesting that she was a woman. Some scholars have tried to kill this plain meaning in two ways. Uh, one translation will turn the name into a masculine form. The other translation, ASV, will reword it altogether. Okay? But all of ancient history's texts, the name Junius, the masculine form, never appears. Which means it was not a name ever used. Unless this person was the only person, the only man in, alive that ever used this name. It means that name probably never even existed. In fact, the first century historian, uh, Josephus, he taught that Junia was the wife of Adronicus and that they were both among the apostles doing the works of God. So early church historians gives evidence that it was understood that Junia was a woman and Junia was an apostle. Church, I just want to submit to you today that I don't find anywhere in Scripture that forbids women from the ministry of any of the fivefold ministry offices. So, by way of exegesis, I've done all the hard work for you. I presented it. So you can't you can't argue that I'm not being biblical unless you can come at me with a good biblical argument that counters it. So, so you can disagree. I understand some of y'all want to disagree. You can disagree, but it is unfair for you to call me unbiblical. Because I've read the work. I've done the research. I've exegeted the text. I've interpreted it, and I believe it is a very plain reading, a fair way. I broke down this verse 7 for you to show that Junea was a female. I believe that every fivefold ministry office is open to women. And I believe we see that in people like Stacy Campbell, Cindy Jacobs, Heidi Baker, Dr. Cindy Trim. Man, if, if Dr. Cindy Trim came in here, I dare y'all, after seeing that video, I dare y'all to be like, you're not an apostle. All right? She will educate you right there on the spot. Anyway, I'm not, I'm not arguing out of experience. I'm just arguing out of the text. But I'm saying you can't ignore experience. You, you should take it into consideration. The fruit of the ministry of these women, the Amy Semple McPhersons, the Mariah Woodworth Edders, the Catherine Coleman's, the Stacey Campbell, Cindy Jacobs, the Patricia Kings, all these amazing women of God. Look at the fruit of their ministry. And I don't think what they're doing is immoral or unbiblical. What I see clearly is Joel chapter 2. God pours out his spirit on all flesh. And your sons and daughters will prophesy. And so going forward here at New Philly, from this point forth, the doctrine that your lead pastor has in this house 
is I, once again, I perf- personally prefer men. Okay, I don't think there's anything wrong for me to express that, right? Don't hate me for that. It's my personal preference. I didn't grow up with all these women leaders around me. It's uncomfortable still. Okay? But, you know, I know Pastor Sonny one-on-one. I know her personally. I know her doctrine. I know her heart. And I know her history. And I trust that woman. And I believe she's, she truly is an apostle. There are graces of an apostle that I can receive if I honor her as an apostle. What I want to ask you, don't miss out on that. Don't miss out on that. There's the grace of God flows through fivefold ministers in a unique way. Each of them in a unique way. If you honor them as an apostle, that's when you will get the rewards of that apostle. The, 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 the graces that flow out, the gifts that flow out will function with greater power, greater clarity when you honor them in that way. Y'all feel me? What do you think Pastor Aaron's been doing every week? She calls some of y'all out. Some of you first Sunday, you come, say, hey, a young man right there in the blue, in the blue. Yeah, yeah, come up. Hey, you, 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 no, the, the, the good looking one. No, no, you're right there. Okay, come over. Now you, you come forward. And what's she do? She prophesies. With such accuracy, you start crying. And you're a man. You're a man and you're crying. What are you doing? You're a man. I'm kidding, I'm kidding. That's not the way I feel. Aaron's got a prophetic gift. I don't know. I'm not sure if she's an apostle or a prophet. I don't know. Pastor, right? We're still growing. We're still learning. And even if we knew what we are, we wouldn't tell you. Because most of us are denominational backgrounds, and we understand that, that, you know, we don't need to have the label right now. We want to just function in it, and we want the fruit to speak for itself. Ten years from now, many of you, if you stick with our ministry, you will be able to clearly discern, oh, this man has this gift. And I just want that to prove whatever arguments about labels there are. But for those who are discerning, you feel like you can already discern that this and this five-fold ministry gift is being carried by this and this leader and this and this person. Honor them in that way. I believe that you will pull and put a demand on their anointing and you will be blessed. All right, let's pray. You know, right now on the earth, with this word going out, not only from the New Philly pulpit, from, I believe, from pulpits all over the earth, Many churches, they're preaching on this message, whether you know it or not. Oftentimes when God does kingdom things, he does it all over the world. And there's a restoration right now and an honoring of women in ministry. And we as a church, if you don't agree with the exegesis, you don't agree, well, take your time. Even if you're not convinced of what I've been presenting, it's all right. We, we still love you. You can still come out to New Philly. But if you are convinced, I want to ask all the New Philly sons and daughters to begin to join in, in this restoration and recognize and say, yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Establish it at this hour. Raise up the women of God that you've chosen. Train them up. They are right now in a process. Many of them are in a process of training. 
a process of sanctification, a process of being equipped. Lord, train them up well that when they are publicly recognized, they are publicly released. They can be a great blessing to the body of Christ. I'm going to ask everybody right now. Let's begin to pray for the women of God to rise up on the earth. Come on, let's pray right now.